Well, Happy New Year. All right, so just put your mind at ease. Pastor Andrew knows I'm preaching today, okay? <laughs> he does know. And um, let me just say a huge thank you to Pastor Andrew for the opportunity to get to speak this morning. Um, you know, anytime we stand on this platform and we get to speak or we get to sing, it's a huge honor. It's a huge privilege for us to get to stand on this platform. So I'm awfully grateful and uh, thankful this morning for the for the opportunity to get to, uh, to speak to you this morning, to share from God's Word. And today we're going to be looking in the book of Psalms, not the whole book, but chapter 1, Psalm chapter 1. So that'll be where we are today. We all know the book of Psalms as a book of poetry, right? It consists of songs of praise. And we see throughout much of Israel's history and much of the church's history that the book of Psalms was used as a songbook. The Psalms were meant to be sung, okay? So many of us, though, we identify so well with the book of Psalms because it encompasses many of the same emotions and the same experiences that we have today. Some of the emotions expressed by the writers would include love, adoration, sorrow, despair, anger, desperation, dependence upon God, the struggle between fear and trust, thankfulness, victory through God's faithfulness, along with many, many others that we could fill in the blank there. It's a book of real life struggle and real life victories. So I think chapter one is the perfect introduction to the book of Psalms because we need to face head on the choice that it presents to us, the choice of choosing God or rejecting God. And we must wrestle with this before we can fully understand and appreciate the life struggle and the faith of the God-fearing authors. So today we focus on Psalm chapter one, the introduction to the book of Psalms. So if you have Psalm chapter one, join with me as we uh, read this. It says, how happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway with sinners or sit in the company of mockers. Instead, his delight is the Lord's instruction. He meditates on it day and night. He is like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in season. Its leaf, it doesn't wither, and whatever he does, it prospers. But the wicked, they're not like this. Instead, they are like the chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked, they will not stand up in the judgment, nor the sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to ruin." So to boil down chapter one, basically we have a choice to make. We can take one of two paths. We can follow God or we can reject God. Everything in our lives is built upon this one choice. It was all throughout the Old Testament. It was in the early church and it is today. Our entire life and our entire eternity is based upon this one choice. Do you accept or do you reject God? So the first thing I want us to look at here in Psalm chapter one is the way of the righteous. This is the first path that we can choose. So the first three verses are dedicated to addressing the righteous. This would be those who accept God. For us today, it would be the Christian, the ones who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. And so as we look at the way of the righteous, I've kind of broken into two categories here, the thou shalt nots and the thou shouts. I know shouts isn't technically a word, but go with me on it for this morning, okay? 
So verse one, it clearly states, the shalt, thou shalt not, okay? It says, we are not to walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of the sinner or sit in the seat of the scoffers. So in other words, Christian, do not associate with sin. Do not associate with sin and do not allow your life to be influenced by those who live their lives in rejection of God. Proverbs chapter four, verse 14 and 15, it says, keep off the path of the wicked. Don't proceed on the way of the evil ones. Avoid it. Don't travel on it. Turn away from it and pass by it. In other words, have nothing to do with it. As a follower of Jesus Christ, you are not meant for evil things. You are meant to live holy lives that are set apart for the Lord God. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22, it says, Flee from your youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who are called to the Lord with a, from a pure heart. We are to be in the world, but we're not to be of the world, Right? So it doesn't matter if you're a child, doesn't matter if you're a teenager, doesn't matter if you're an adult, maybe you've been a Christian for one day or maybe you've been a Christian for 50 years, but you can't live your life immersed in a culture of sin, tiptoeing around the lines of sin, dabbling a little bit here and there in sin and expect to walk out unstained. It's not possible. Jesus himself, he surrounded himself with those that loved him and loved his heavenly father. He went out among the sinners to lead them to repentance. That was his purpose, but he was not of the sinful world. So Christian verse one is clearly telling us, do not associate with sin. Now, the thou shalt nots, those are never fun to talk about. We don't like to be told what we cannot do. So the next few verses talks about what we should be doing, okay? So verse two, it tells us that the way of the righteous delights in the law of the Lord. Delights in the law of the Lord or the Lord's instruction. It says he delights, he finds happiness, he finds joy, or he finds great pleasure in the Lord's instruction. The instruction of the Lord being what? His holy word, right? He finds joy in God's word. The word of God is everything to us as Christians. In Psalm 119, 105, it says, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. You see, it's guidance for our lives. Matthew chapter four, verse four, it says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. You see, it's sustenance. For the soul. Luke 11, verse 28, it says, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. You see, it's rules and boundaries set forth for our lives. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 5, it says, Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. The word of God, Jesus is our protector. Psalm 111 or 119 verse 11, it says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. It is our weapon against temptation. The word of God, you see, it's not only our instructions for living, but it's also a lens. It's a gateway for us to see God in all of his splendor, his majesty, his power, his love, and his grace. That's the word of God. And you see the righteous they find pleasure, they find joy, they find contentment, and they find security in the Lord's instruction. Now, the second thing that I would say we can pull from this and that I want us to look at is that the righteous, that they dive into God's word. 
I dive into the word of God. So in verse two, it says that he meditates on God's instruction day and night. Now, as a kid, that word meditate was not a fan. You know, as a kid, I was active. I was active. I didn't like to sit still. Um, I talked all the time in class. My mom would volunteer up at the school. She'd come walking down the hall. Guess who's sitting out in the hallway? Because I was talking all during class. Now, if you know me today, I'm really not that big of a talker. So uh, I don't know what happened in those years, but uh, maybe they worked it out of me or something. But the idea of meditating and sitting in one place in silence and in solitude did not sound appealing. Um, but that was my severe misunderstanding of biblical meditation. So here's what I would say about meditation. Biblical meditation is wonderful. But you see, some meditation practices today, they are designed to empty one's mind to bring about peace and relaxation. Nothing wrong with peace and relaxation. But I would argue that the true relaxation and peace comes when we fill our minds with the Word of God. You see, the problem in the world's version of meditation is that when you're done with your time of meditating, all your problems that you've put out of your mind, what happens to them? They just come rushing right back in, right? Yeah, so the idea that we can find peace outside of God's Word is just not true. You see, we don't fight our struggles and our stresses by emptying our minds of our problems. We fight our stresses and our struggles by filling our mind with God's Word and our lives with His presence. See, you'll always be in search if you try to use any solution to life struggles outside of God's Word. You see, the Christian meditates on God's Word both day and night. So a good East Texas way for us to think about meditation, okay? Good East Texas way is we chew on it, right? We chew on it. We chew on it. We, we work it to get all the nutrients out of what God is trying to say to us, right? We chew on it. So a little side note here. So we all, we all know cows, right? And we all know that cows chew their cud. Not the most appealing visual I know, but, but go with me here, okay? So cows, cows chew their cud. Did you know that a healthy cow will chew its cud up to eight hours a day? 30,000 chews a day, 30,000, okay? That's a healthy one. And that healthy cow that chews its cud up to eight hours a day, you know what? It is said to be at peace, comfortable, and relaxed. Now, I'm not trying to draw, draw a crazy connection between us and cows, okay? But what I'm saying is God's design for us is to take his word and to chew on it and to get all the nutrients, all the goodness out of his word. That is what God wants us to do when we study his word is to take it and to soak on it. Now, think about this with me. If I was to go to your home and I was to walk into your house, I could probably fairly quickly figure out what type of person you are, right? I walk into your house and your home is immaculate. You're one of those kind of people, right? Everything's in perfect order. Everything's right where it should be. There's not a speck of dust on the floor. There's not a speck of dust on the counter. Everything actually works in your house. The remote control batteries aren't dead, you know, all that. It is, everything is just immaculate. You could eat off the floor 
You, you maybe you're one of your, you're one of those kind of people. And then, well, maybe you're one of the other kind of people. You know, you you go into your house and it's not so tidy maybe, and you have to have a trail to get from one room to the other. You kind of have a mess going around. The idea that everything has its proper place is absolutely absurd to you, right? It's really a proper place is more of a mild suggestion, right? Now, um, have you noticed too that it seems like in marriages, there's always one of each? It just seems like there's always one of each, either one that's like really clean and put together and the other one's like, oh, well, I don't care that much about it, right? It just seems like that's always the case. Now, if you know Kara and I, you could probably figure out which one she is and which one I am pretty quickly. Now, if you do not know us all that well, I have a little hint for you of how you can tell. A couple of weeks ago, she bought me this T-shirt so here's a picture of the t-shirt she bought me the other day. If I said I'll fix it, I will. There's no need to remind me every six months. <laughs> you can tell about your dwelling by the type of person, right, that lives in your dwelling. We are to dwell upon God's word. We're to dwell on it. We are to soak it up in our lives. Now, you may say, but I'm not either one of those kind of people. I'm more what we call down the middle, or the word we like to use today would be well-balanced, right? I'm more well-balanced. And uh, so I would guess that when people come to your home that it's pristine, it looks really nice, but maybe when no one's over, it's kind of a mess. Uh, maybe that's the kind of uh, person you are. And if we were to apply that spiritually, I'm afraid many of us though would fall into that category. We come to church on Sunday, but on Monday, oh, we kind of live a little bit different kind of life, right? For some of you, your coworkers, if they came in today and saw you in church, they might be a little bit shocked. Mm -hmm. You see, the way we live at work and the way at school, the way we live our lives at home, the way we live our life in church, it all should match up. If it doesn't, you see, we're dishonoring God and we're dishonoring ourselves. The righteous person, the genuine follower of Christ meditates, dwells on the Lord's instruction and God's word dwells in them and dwells in their dwelling, their life, and their life resembles that of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, people should very quickly be able to identify you as a Christian. It shouldn't, they shouldn't have to think about it, and they shouldn't have to wonder. They shouldn't have to ponder. They shouldn't have to evaluate for two, three, four days, weeks, months, years. If we belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, people should be able to see that in our lives, in our language, in our conduct, and the way that we live out our lives we dwell on the word of God. And when we dwell on God's word, guess what? God dwells in us. And it is an overflow and it comes out in our lives. Now, there's one final thing that I want us to look at in regards to the righteous person. And that's in verse three. In verse three, it says, he is, tree, he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season. Now, there's a lot we could unpack from this verse here, a lot we could take out of this verse, but I want to focus on really just one word, and that is the word fruit. Fruit. The righteous person bears fruit. Now, I think in our culture today, you know, we, um, we often measure or we evaluate our, our Christianity based upon the things we don't do. You know, I don't do the big sins. I don't murder. I don't steal. 
I don't lie, I don't commit adultery, and we can go down the list of things that we don't do. And sometimes we measure our Christianity based upon those things that we don't do. Well, guess what? There are people that don't know Jesus, and you know what? They don't kill people. They don't steal. They don't cuss, lie, all the things that we might put into that category, right? Matthew chapter 7, verse 20 says, you will recognize them by their fruit. Who is them? Well, it is the Christian, the Christian that proclaims the gospel of Christ, opposed to those who are peddling their own version of truth. As followers of Christ, we are to produce, we are to bear fruit for the kingdom of God. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it says, For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You were designed as a believer in Christ to bear fruit, to produce fruit for the kingdom of God. So what does fruit look like? Well, there's a lot of different things we could talk about in regards to bearing fruit, but I'm just gonna hit on just two or three things here, okay? The first one I'm gonna mention to you really isn't necessarily one that you bear and produce as much, as it's one that already lives in you and one that you already possess. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5 says what? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You see, every believer, every Christian possesses the fruit of the Spirit. You have all of that in you. Now, you may say, well, I'm not very good with patience, or I'm not very good with self-control. I'm trying to cut out Dr. Pepper, and I can't do it, right? Well, it's not that they don't live in you. It's that they may be undisciplined and underdeveloped, but they are there, the fruit of the Spirit does live in every Christian that is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And it is our job to live that fruit and to, and to live that fruit out in the world around us and in the relationships around us. So what are a few other practical ways that we produce fruit? Well, in Galatians 2, chapter 9, or Galatians 2, 2 verse 9 and 10, it says that the apostles encouraged Paul and Barnabas to care for the poor. In James chapter one, verse 27, James talks about caring for the orphans and for the widows. Some of these are the most basic acts of Christian service. And they're mentioned numerous times throughout scripture. And so part of how we bear fruit is by first investing in people's lives and showing them the loving kindness of a savior. It's the fruit of the spirit being lived out in our lives. Now, I'm going to mention one uh, last area. It's one that you would honestly, you would expect. We produce fruit by sharing the good news of Jesus and by making disciples, right? Matthew 28, it says, "What well, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. So since all authority... And heaven and on earth belongs to Jesus. And since Jesus lives in you, go. That's what he's saying, go. You possess that authority. You possess that savior. You possess that power. Go and share the good news. Make disciples. Convert people in the name of Jesus and grow them up in their faith. You see, next week, the Neighborhood Initiative is going to be presented in great detail to all of us. It's about, about embracing our neighborhoods, building relationships with people in our neighborhoods, praying for them, serving them, sharing the gospel, and making disciples. It's about bearing fruit for the kingdom of God. So my real challenge for us today, for the Christian today, is that we make 2024 
a year of bearing fruit. A year of bearing fruit. So I want to ask you to do a couple of things before next Sunday specifically. One, I want you to pray about your involvement in the neighborhood initiative. I want you to pray about not if you're going to be involved. I would hope all of us that are professed Christians would be looking for more ways that we can be involved in investing in people's lives and sharing the gospel and ministering to people. But I want you to ask God, to what extent do you want me to be involved? Maybe God wants to stretch you in a way that you've never been stretched before, to reach into your community and to reach your neighbors with the gospel or to minister to them and whatever their needs may be. I want you to ask God to give you an open heart and an open mind to what he wants you to do and how he wants, to particip- how he wants you to participate. Give God that open door in your life to challenge you in an area that might be a little uncomfortable for you as well. The second thing I would ask is that you be at church. I know that sounds kind of simple, but be at church. Every Christian that's a part of Marberly Baptist Church should be here next week to hear the Neighborhood Initiative. So if you're in town, you're healthy, be here. Be here to hear it. It's not that the Neighborhood Initiative is the solution to, to, to bearing fruit and reaching people. It's a tool. It's a strategy to be placed into your hands to give you more opportunity and more options for reaching people and ministering to them. So be here. Be here ready to hear the Neighborhood Initiative. There will be an opportunity next week for you to commit to how you want to participate and to be a part of that initiative for the next year. So I just want to encourage you. I want to challenge you. Be praying for it this week and to plan to be here next Sunday. So as these first verses we've looked at today, we see what the righteous is commissioned to by this passage. It says the righteous does what? It does not associate with sin. The righteous person delights in the Lord's instruction. The righteous person dives into the word of God and the righteous person also bears fruit. Now chapter one also describes another pathway. It's the path of the wicked, those that reject God. Verse four and five, it says the wicked, they're not like this. In other words, they're not like the righteous person that pursues after God. It says they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand up in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. So to boil down these two verses, the one that rejects God is sentenced to eternity separated from God. The one that rejects God is sentenced to eternity separated from God. Those that reject God do not have the blood of Jesus to cover their sin. So what is sin? Sin is anything that breaks God's law. We've all sinned, Romans 3, 23, we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And it only took one sin to stain your life. So therefore, it doesn't matter how bad your past is, okay? It doesn't matter how bad your past might be. We are all equally stained and marred by sin. And here's what we must understand, folks. Sin is a big deal. Our culture does not make a big deal out of sin. Our culture thinks sin is just, well, it's your opinion. It's what you think, well, you might should or shouldn't do. Listen, sin is a big deal. Sin is evil. It's reprehensible to God. So much so that Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death. Your only payment for your sin is your life separated from God and sentenced to eternity in hell. That is the payment for your sin. 
outside of Jesus. Now, you may say that sounds harsh, but understand that's how bad sin is. A payment is demanded. It is required for our sin. Now, the beauty of Romans 6.23, though, is that it doesn't end with death. Aren't you thankful for that? It doesn't end with death. It goes on to provide us a method of payment that is apart from our own lives. It says it's a free gift provided by God himself in his son, Jesus. It's our salvation, right? It's salvation. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, meaning what completely separated from God for all of eternity, but will have eternal life, life with God for all of eternity. Now, you may be here today and you may think, well, I just, I don't believe all of this about Jesus. I don't believe everything about the cross. Well, you know what? That's your choice. That's your choice. That's why Psalm 1 exists. It describes two ways. You get to choose your path. But understand that your choice doesn't change God's truth. Your opinions do not change God's truth. Philippians 2 tells us that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord. Listen, folks, understand you don't get to choose what truth is. You only get to respond to what is actually true. And the only truth to stand the test of time is God's word and his provision of life through his son, Jesus. I read a quote the other day and it said, if the living knew what the dead know now, we'd all follow Jesus. Isn't that right? Yes, amen. So folks, if you're here today and you've not chosen to follow God by trusting in Jesus, there is no better way to start 2024 than by placing your faith in him, turning from your sin and trusting in Jesus. There's no better way. For some though, humbling yourself that far may seem almost impossible. For some, your hurt and your trauma, it makes it incredibly hard to believe that someone can love you that much. Or it's incredibly hard to trust in a father maybe that won't let you down. We see the beauty of the Bible is it describes God, our heavenly father. And it describes him all throughout history as a God and a father that never failed. He never stopped loving his creation his love is unconditional. And folks, Jesus is simply here today with his arms open and ready to forgive and to start healing your life. He's here. He's here. The choice is yours. So just as we started this morning, do you choose to accept or do you choose to reject the Lord God? If you would, bow your heads across the room with me this morning. If you are here today and there's never been a time in your life where you placed your faith in Jesus Christ, I just want to challenge you today. I want to ask you today, why would you wait any longer? Why would you wait any longer? Jesus is here today. He is ready to accept into the family of God anyone who will place their trust and their faith in him.
And so this morning, if you're ready to start this new year as a brand new child of God, a new believer, I just wanna invite you just where you're seated. I'm gonna lead you in a prayer this morning. And if you wanna place your faith in Christ, I'm just gonna invite you to do that this morning. And you can just pray along with me in your mind. It's just like this, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know I have done wrong. I have broken your law and I'm so sorry for my sin. I confess that before you this morning and I wanna place my faith and my trust in you. I accept you today as my savior and as my Lord, amen.